0: You're listening to the audiobook of Robots Will Steal Your Job, But That's Okay, written by Federico Pistono, read by Ian R. Buck. Find the show notes for this chapter at thenexus.tv slash rsj8. Chapter 8. Social Acceptance. Even though a technology might be ready, tested, and reliable, its social acceptance is not obvious at all. Fear, uncertainty, doubt, ignorance, and special interests all converge to stifle innovation and the betterment of our lives. Take what is arguably the greatest revolution in the history of humanity, the Internet. An ocean of possibilities, democratization of information, distributed free sharing of ideas, instant communication across the globe, the leveling of race and class, Anybody, anywhere, has the same opportunity. That was the potential. The reality? A handful of companies control the essential services for accessing the internet, and an equally small number of private corporations make up a very large portion of internet traffic. Even though we have the technology and the capability to provide the world's 7 billion people with free and unrestricted internet access, only one-third of the world is connected to the global mind. Reference 1. And even when the Internet manages to reach the people, things do not quite exactly go as expected. Politics should ensure freedom of speech, but attempts to censor the Internet are widespread and increasing around the world. A quick look at the 2011 edition of Freedom House's report, Freedom on the Net, gives us a very depressing view. Of the 37 countries surveyed, 8 were rated as free, 22%. 18 as partly free, 49%, and 11 as not free, 30%, reference two. The study's findings indicate that the threats to internet freedom are growing and have become more diverse. Cyber attacks, politically motivated censorship, and government control over internet infrastructure have emerged as especially prominent threats. And even among those few considered free, there is a catch. For example, the United States of America is supposedly free, but there is a long history of proposed federal and state laws that attempted to restrict access to certain websites and services, or to control people. Reference 3. Some of these laws began with good intentions, but they were easily distorted and taken advantage of. The latest flavor of these obscenities was called SOPA, Stop Online Piracy Act and together with its twin sister, the Protect IP Act, Preventing Real Online Threats to Economic Creativity and Theft of Intellectual Property Act of 2011, United States Senate Bill S.968, that gave the power to censor the internet to the entertainment industry. Video maker Kirby Ferguson explained it quite nicely. Reference 4. Protect IP will not stop piracy, but it will introduce vast potential for censorship and abuse, while making the web less safe and less reliable. This is the internet we are talking about. It is a vital and vibrant medium, and our government is tampering with its basic structure so people will maybe buy more Hollywood movies. But Hollywood movies do not get grassroots candidates elected, they do not overthrow corrupt regimes, and the entire entertainment industry doesn't even contribute that much to our economy. The internet does all these and more. Corporations already have tools to fight piracy. They have the power to take down specific content, to sue peer-to-peer software companies out of existence, and to sue journalists just for talking about how to copy a DVD. They have a history of stretching and abusing their powers. They tried to take a baby video off YouTube just for the music playing in the background. They have used legal penalties written for large-scale commercial piracy to go after families and children. They even sued to ban the VCR and first MP3 players. So the question is, how far will they take all this? The answer at this point is obvious, as far as we will let them. On January 18, 2012, the English Wikipedia, Reddit, and another 7,000 other smaller websites coordinated a surface blackout to raise awareness against this madness. That day, more than 160 million people viewed Wikipedia's banner. The Electronic Frontier Foundation, Google, and many others collected several millions of signatures. Many started to boycott companies that supported the legislation, and a rally was held in New York City with thousands of activists. Reference 5. By pulling together our strengths and collective efforts, we were able to kill this monstrosity, but they are already coming back with other equally, if not more disturbing, idiotic proposals. Reference 6. Politicians are not only ignorant of how basic things work whenever a technology is concerned, they also essentially act as representatives of corporations in government. To be more specific... Their supposed ignorance allows them to have the paying lobbyists write the bills in the manner that most benefits are purported representatives' true constituency, the corporations and their owners, who are not satisfied with the majority of the pie, but want the whole thing. This is a problem with allowing money to act as a form of free speech. It is an arms race with more and more money trying to buy the right laws, and the people, corporations, who financially benefit from those laws, will always have more money to buy more laws. Reference 7. This is not a cynical view, nor is it a conspiracy hypothesis. It is a well-documented fact that up to 0.1% of the U.S. earns half of all capital gains. Reference 8. As if this were not enough, politicians and big corporations are only a very small part of the problem. Studies have shown that the public's ability to understand everyday problems and challenges is depressingly low. In the U.S., about 87% of the people cannot even perform moderately complex tasks, such as reading and understanding a newspaper article about foreign affairs, compare two viewpoints in an editorial, read a graph, compare percentages, and 22% are functionally illiterate, reference 9. The same goes for Italy, the United Kingdom, Belgium, Australia, Canada, and many other developed countries. Reference 10. It should come as no surprise if the public perception of complex issues is skewed. How can you expect at least 60% of the population to be informed and act responsibly, if more than 60% of the people do not even know what 60% means? Consider the issue of climate change which the popular press likes to call global warming. For years, it has been the center of debate in newspapers and political talks, as if it was a matter of opinion, as if journalists, politicians, economists, or any other person who is not a climatologist had anything to say in this regard. For years, people have debated and discussed and presented evidence in favor and against the Theory of Anthropogenic Global Warming. In March 2010, a Gallup poll revealed that 48% of Americans believed that the seriousness of global warming is generally exaggerated, up from 41% in 2009 and 30% in 2006, reference 11. Similar frightening results in the UK and many other places, reference 12. We know that climate change is happening. We know that we are largely responsible for it, reference 13, And even the top climate skeptics admitted they were wrong to doubt global warming data, confirmed by studies funded by the very people who denied climate change and wanted to disprove it. Reference 14. Yet, a combination of bad news reporting, political trash talk, pseudoscience, and public ignorance make it still very hard for science to go forward. Fear, uncertainty, doubt, and ignorance— are major obstacles to the widespread acceptance of life-ameliorating technologies, but they are not the only ones. Consider the automated checkout lines at the supermarket. If properly developed, using the right implementation with an intuitive interface, it would speed up the process, reduce inefficiencies, stress, but of course will displace millions of people. Finally, There are other reasons why automation will not displace the totality of the workforce, even in those areas where it potentially could. Consider a restaurant. Some people think that a restaurant is a place where you eat, and that is what you pay for. Wrong. Such is the description of a fast food line. In a restaurant, you pay for the experience of eating a good meal. You pay for the whole context, not just the meal itself. If they were to serve scrumptiously delicious food, but they had shit on the floor, you would most certainly ask for a refund, or walk away entirely. When you enter a restaurant, you expect to be given a pleasant context in which to enjoy your meal. The quiet atmosphere as you enter, the warm lights as you sit down at the table, the waiter who welcomes you and offers a suggestion on the wine to choose, all these are elements that count in creating a compelling experience. Eliminating the human element from this picture may be harder than some technology enthusiasts like to think. People enjoy the company of other human beings. They like to empathize with them, hear and tell stories, exchange interests, and different viewpoints. Even though the interaction you might have with a waiter is very limited, it could be nonetheless very compelling, and one of the reasons you decided to go to a high-class restaurant instead of a fast food. Picture now a holographic image of a beautiful lady, who knows all of your interests, remembers when you came in last time, with whom, and asks questions accordingly, always in a gentle voice. This is an example often given by techno-geeks in favor of automation, reference 15. But I do not think that many people would be very happy with that, at least not for a while. As you can see, the process of acceptance for any scientific evidence, disruptive technology, or anything that may change our way of living is not linear and predictable. Many obstacles are in the way, and opposition may come from all directions, for a variety of reasons. With this in mind, let us analyze the whole workforce as it currently stands, and project into the future the possible consequences that accelerating technological change could bring. You have been listening to the audiobook of Robots Will Steal Your Job, But That's Okay, written by Federico Pistono, read by Ian R. Buck. This audiobook is a production of The Nexus TV, a network of technology-focused podcasts. Find our other shows at thenexus.tv. This audiobook is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. So feel free to use any part of it as long as you link back to the original page. You do not use this for any commercial purposes, and you release your version under the same license. Until next time, have a good one. The Nexus, The Nexus, The Nexus TV, Podcasts from, from the, the Technological, technological convergence. convergence. Technology is ever evolving. It touches every part of our lives, both influencing and being influenced by society. I'm Ian Arbuck, and I know it's hard to stay on top of everything you need to know to live in this digital world. That's why every month on the extra dimension, we explore a different aspect of the technological convergence. Find it on our website, thenexus.tv, or by searching for The Extra Dimension in your favorite podcast player.